For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Okay, welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure alongside Michael Molinari, our producer. Well, fellows, it's, uh, it's about 92 where I am today and Michael and I in L.A. It's not in 98-100. Ted, you're on the East Coast. That's what we had Saturday, calling USC's opener of the season. It was nearing 100 degrees, but man, it was a fun week one. Fellas, here we are almost midweek of week two. Ted, how are you at the U.S. Open as that concludes? Um, well, I'm, uh, look, I, I'm channeling cause Molinari like owns real estate in Boston. So look what I have, Michael <laughs> Duncan. I'm in, I'm in my New York mode here. Duncan, baby. You can't find, it's funny. That's the coffee you find in Astoria, Queens. There's like six Duncans before you come close to the other chain. Um, but yeah, you know, funny, r- real quick thing, cause we were at USC. So we should talk a lot about that. It was, mo- you know, it was definitely a momentous day. Um, but between UCLA and USC, we I think we have discovered that college football is going to need to make an adjustment. Uh, this 100-degree heat in September on Saturday afternoon is not unusual anymore. It's the norm going forward. So thinking about kick times is going to be vital in that regard for both player safety and fans. And as we saw, sadly, there was nobody at the Rose Bowl because it was just it was a, an oven. And thankfully, USC is excited to draw a lot of fans out, but at halftime, the Coliseum probably half emptied because it was a one-sided game in the heat. So, but anyway, man, USC was, that was, uh, you know, it, it's all about, as I often said, Yogi, when you first met Amy, it had to be about the first impression. And you had, <laughs> you had, you had to crush it on the first impression. Well, I thought USC admittedly first impression, but that's what they did. First of all, timeout. I think, Ted inferred he wants night games. I think I heard that. I believe I just heard that. First time ever. Breaking, so. breaking. Where's the button? Global warming. <laughs> <with> an... <laughs> uh, wait a minute. I have more eye roll moments for Molinari. I had you listening, folks. Global, global warming <laughs> with a serious effect. Ted Robinson is convinced night games might be necessary. I like that. I, I agree with you, though. SC, they had nothing to gain because of the competition in Rice. You know, it. everyone expected a blowout and everyone expected them to look and they look, but they look better than that. There was energy. There was, uh, I mean, the one, the one play that jumps out at me, well, maybe two, maybe Ray Leak Brown, maybe a little early for the Heisman pose. That was one thing that jumped out at me, but, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but I think Caleb Williams on that run of Ray Leak, Caleb Williams, who was already out of the game, on the sideline, just running and cheering behind him. I was like, that guy, he's a leader on the field, but he seems like a leader off the field. I think that's a great sign for them. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm trying to find uh, exactly what the penalties were. I remember two in the first half. I think SC might have finished with three. Like, so amid all the explosive plays, all the elite players, all the new faces, we saw a clean team. We saw a clean team. Like, 
we haven't seen that at SC in a long time. And that, I think like outside of the initial like excitement and energy of leaving the Coliseum and Relique Brown, Jordan Addison, Caleb Williams, like all those things that you all just referenced, I was like, it was clean. You didn't see personal fouls. You didn't see taunting penalties. You see any of the stuff we've seen for, for a long time there. And Maybe. I, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, right on that point, I, te- I had a, where I live, obviously, there's a lot of USC fans around me in the Bay Area, and a couple of them were, were reaching out to me after the game. So I'm at the airport texting them back. So that was the first time I really felt I saw a USC team look professional in the phrase of how they carried themselves, how they ran on the field, how they took the field, how they acted, how the coaches conducted themselves since Pete Carroll's era. And I just that's and I'm saying that as a compliment to what Lincoln Riley has instilled in nine months. Yeah. Yeah. They finished with six penalties. They just looked at it and a couple of them were late when the backups were in. But you're right. It 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 feels like the way they talk, right? They talk about, hey, if you earn the right to play, you're gonna play. That's what we saw, right? We they talk often about hey, treating them like professionals, but also remembering that they're still in college. Like I, I just think that what Lincoln has done in a short amount of time is really impressive. And then you add in the vets. And we talked about this in the broadcast. These vets that have transferred in, they sense and feel the sense of urgency. And I think that Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, I think those guys have pulled everybody up, along with the guys on the offensive front, like Justin Dietrich and Brett Nealon, guys that have been around, uh, Jonah Monheim, um, Voorhees. Some of these vets, I just feel like this team is way more mature than a first-year program should be in L.A. Uh, so, yeah, walked away so impressed. and. I think that the biggest, you know, football takeaway I had was Dan Caleb Williams is good. Like he is, <laughs> he's, he's special good. He, I think, you know, I, I hate when I hear people do this and a lot of my friends do this in the business and they're like, he's going to be the number one draft pick. So, but, but I, I don't know how you get away from like, he's going to be an elite player as he keeps developing, which we think he'll do under Lincoln Riley next year. Look out because he, he did it. He's not perfect, but man, he did a lot of things really impressive, impressively all Saturday. Hey, let's have a, an official count this year as we listen to our friends call games. How many players, let's just say in the Pac-12 games, are called first round draft picks this year? You knew you were going there. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the over-under will be 200. Yeah. Yeah. By the yeah. by the way, guys, uh, the stats train, our Greg Moraz, our researcher, now sending out post-game numbers and notes. 66, 66 points, most for SC in a game since 2008. Uh, pretty good stuff there. Just a little, I'll get some nuggets in from like stats that. train on some of these games. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's, it's also, guys, look, for, on the USC story, last year, week two, ended their season. Ended their season. They were embarrassed by Stanford on the Coliseum field. Clay Helton's gone, and their season crashed. The only thing left after that was Drake London his brilliance until he was hurt. So, I mean, that's where, to me, everything now, uh, I'll be fascinated during this coming week to see if, how much conversation there is from Lincoln Riley, because, of course, nobody on his staff except for Dante Williams was there. Half the team wasn't there. Is that used? What do you think? Yogi? Will that be used as motivation? I don't I don't think so. But, but it's real in terms of Stanford is not Rice but Stanford will talk to Rice, I'd imagine. If there was a phone to tap this week, it'd be David Shaw and Mike Bloomgren's, right? Like, 
course, a former assistant there. And if there's one thing we saw in the first three drives was Rice ran the ball whenever they wanted. We're going to be real about it. They moved the ball in the air however they wanted, right? How many times did they find Luke McCaffrey in the slot? Like they were moving it down the field. Now, what do we see in the second half? We saw Corey Foreman. We saw guys, I think, generate confidence in that, especially in that offensive or that defensive front seven. I felt like, this is my analogy since the game. I feel like SC's on a bridge. And on one side is hope. Let's hope things go well, especially on defense. And and the opposite end is, hey, we know things are going to go well. That was what I lived at SC. We didn't care who, when, what the score was, how many were down. We knew we would come back. We were down three scores at Oregon State. We're going to make a comeback. I think this team is on that bridge. And as I saw Corey Foreman as the game went on, especially when you saw the targeting penalty to Romello Height, the rush edger, rush end, who you know was disqualified for the remainder of the game, he he kind of became a guy. This is a number one player in America two years ago, like Kayvon Thibodeau, all the hype, and he hadn't lived up to any of it. And I think we're seeing his confidence grow. They're going to have to do that again. Because I think Stanford, they don't have the premier USC receivers. But co- as a collective, they are right below. And if you watch Stanford and Michael Wilson, I don't care if it was against Colgate. That dude looked like an all-conference player. Ben Urosik, uh, Bryson Tremaine, Elijah Higgins, EJ Smith out the back door. First play of the game for a touchdown. Granted, it was against Colgate. It was an absolute bust on the defensive side. But Tanner McKee and this offense will move the ball. They will. I think they will against this. So I think this is a back and forth game. And I love how SC this week and then Fresno and then my top team coming out of the weekend is Oregon State. I was going to say, I want to I want to go on the bridge with you on, the, on that for just a second. But let me ask one more thing about USC Stanford, because this is now pattern. These two schools have known this for, I, don't, I can't keep track of how many years, but it's probably been at least six years they've played week two. How much do you think both schools held in their back pocket and didn't show in week one. I think Stanford, my gut is way more. I think USC, there was, I mean, what did Lincoln tell us Friday in our production meeting? It was, I'm excited. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I think they had to roll. Now he's always going to have wrinkles, but especially early on in that game, I, I think we saw some cool creative stuff from them. And, and I think defensively, they're not going to be dramatically exotic. You know, I think they're going to be who they are, especially early on. And, and they reference that of like their whole collective packages on both sides of the ball for Lincoln, Riley and Alex French are not totally in. And I don't think they'll be in throughout the entirety of the season. I think they'll just keep adding things, but doing really what works as they go on and, and move forward. So I think Stanford and, and I can't wait. And what a stage they have. Reese Davis, Kirk Herbstreet, Holly Rowe, I think. Right. Like it's ABC. Here we go big opportunity for a team at Stanford who won three games a year ago. I mean, I'll see off season long. They said, we got a lot to prove. And then for SC, what an opportunity to make a statement. Uh, I'm pumped. Okay. The bridge analogy guys was great. Because the minute you said that, and you know, I'm a hope guy. And, and I, I thought of Oregon state right away because Oregon state has moved past hope to me. They're on that bridge. And, I saw a, a, a half-hour snip is all I saw of it so far of their game Saturday night, but that's a heck of a win. I mean, they didn't edge Boise State. They pounded them, forced Boise State to change quarterbacks. I mean, that's that to me, that was a heck of an effort for a Beaver team that, you know, 
it reflected to me the exact opposite of what happened last year. Last year I had this huge win with Oregon winning at Ohio State, but when so many losses down the ladder, so to speak, it really hurt the conference. The first week was the polar opposite. We will talk about Oregon and Utah. Those weren't good, but everything else was really good. Jack Coletta with a 44-yard TD run. I didn't know Jack Coletta could run that far without uh, gassing, so congrats to him for making it 44 yards. He usually runs for about three, so good for him. That he's was the highlight of that game for me. Hey, he's selling t-shirts this year. The Jack, we'll, we'll have one for whenever we call their their games, for sure. Um, I, I'll tell you what stood out to me in Oregon State was two things that I think need to get a ton of love. Um, one was Chance Nolan. He told us in the spring, Ted, he, his entire focus is on deep ball accuracy. He really worked his mechanics. First drive of the game, it's a dropped pass for a touchdown that's about 60 yards. Comes right back, same drive, Luke Musgrave, big play. I mean, he was moving the ball down the field with incredible accuracy. So if you're a total nerd, pull it up on your TV to watch any replay. And a perfect deep ball is about four to three yards in the air, and it should go right out of your TV screen like my pen is right now, and then come right back in. Watch him throw the deep ball. It's perfect. He really went to work on that. And I want to highlight that because he's gotten a ton of criticism, right? They, JT Daniels, they wanted him to transfer in. They wanted other guys to win the job. Sam Vidlock transferred to Boise State, who isn't even the backup because he didn't come in. He was supposed to compete for the job. Chance Nolan's just fought and fought and fought, right? And the guy started in Middle Tennessee with our boy Tony Franklin and then found his way out west. And now he's thriving under Jonathan Smith. Uh, so that's one. And then two, this is a throwback. Uh, the defense under Trent Bray, Totally changed schemes. And they are running what I played against in 2002 in the Inside.com Bowl, what uh, Mike Riley's defenses ran all those years. They were winning eight, nine, 10 games in the Pac-10 at the time. And now they're back at it. And what it is, it's a four-man defensive front where they're just rushing the passer. Just get after it. Don't have to worry about having two gaps and holding up offensive linemen. Just go. And then outside, it's just press man coverage for the most part. There's some nuance to it, but that's basically it. And what they have, is what I don't think any team in this league has. And that's why we circled that game against the Trojans in a couple weeks. They've got two NFL corners starting, and Alex Austin and Rayshon Wright. You add in seventh-year, Ted's favorite phrase, seventh-year senior, Jaden Granite safety. All three of them had a pick. I think they had five turnovers, right? Coletto had a fumble recovery. I had that written down oh, seventh-year. The, the chainsaw was out, Yogi. The chainsaw, chainsaw was out. out. But I just yeah. think that like this style of defense – yeah. As I just finished this morning watching it, I'm like, oh, this team, granted, we saw one week, but this team looked the most complete out of any team in our league this weekend. Yogi, you know, that's a great call. That, was that the Mark Banker defense? Yes. Is that what Trey yep. Trey's running? Mark exactly Banker right. was the long exactly. D coordinator for Riley. And uh, you're right, because that was, I mean, again, forcing Boise State to change quarterbacks in the opening half of week one. Wow. That's so, so yeah, that to me, Back to your bridge, I was so happy to see that and the parts I watched to see Oregon State because they've moved now beyond hope. That's the good thing. Yeah. Ch yeah. A one nugget for Yogi, Chance and Olin backing you up. Five completions of 25-plus yards in that game. And my observation was how loud was that crowd for yeah. half of the building? Yeah. Not, you can't even fill the seats because they're rebuilding. I mean, it was it was remarkable how loud it was for how few people were there. The people that there really care, and they were fired up. I love that. Um, all right, so my next team that I want to talk about, guys, 
again, if I had to rank most impressive performances, Oregon State, SC, and at three, you said it, Ted. Go ahead. Bear, bear, bear down. down. Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> In sync. Yes. Per, hey, week two, baby. We're, we're rolling right now. Yeah. I'm just so, I mean, look, they won one game last year. And let's all be honest. We know uh, what went into that win against Cal and a depleted COVID-19 team. This team has won one game in about three years. <laughs> Jed Fish. I, I call him Jed Lasso at times because this dude has just, <laughs> he's found a way to get this team to always believe. Last year, every game but two, they were in. Eight games went to the fourth quarter, down a score or less. And now, with a guy who I think had the best performance of the weekend, Jaden Delora, they look real. They look freaking real. And Jacob Cowling, who we said we were there, again, yoke for the spring game, and Jacob Cowling, who I knew nothing about, but in the spring game, you could see potential. And, man, what a, what a debut week for him. Uh, no heat problems, which I was impressed by, because it was blistering in the new stadium in San Diego. So clearly the conditioning program that Jed Fish has put in worked for Arizona. And again, after all of the grief that the Pac-12 earned bluntly last year by not beating any Mountain West teams, for Arizona to go in there and beat a very good Mountain West team in their debut game in a long-awaited new stadium. You know, that, and, and, and I would say on your bridge, they're not where Oregon State is. But that's the first little baby step off of the hope into the bridge. It's a baby step. They've got to keep going. And they've got Leach this week, which is going to be another step they can take. But that, to me, was – I'm with you, Yogi. That, that was a score. We were sitting in the booth in the Coliseum, and every time I asked you the score, you'd tell me. And I just smiled. I was really happy for Arizona. Yeah. So, Michael, what do you think – because you've done so many hoop games in Tucson. This game's at home. I think it's 8 o'clock kick. I think the crowd, like, comes out for Leach coming back oh, to the pack. I do. I do because I think in a small town like Tucson, when a team shows that they're on the winning path, I mean, the one thing that Jetfish has already proven, he's going to provide entertainment if you show up. And now if they're winning on the field, they're winning in an exciting way, I think you're going to get people that say, hey, it's, it's 8 o'clock. There's people that remember Leach. Leach is definitely one of our villains in college football so i think that's got a drawing power it's the sec so i no, i think they'll get a lot of people to turn out for that game and i think uh i i'm just i'm amazed at what jed fish has been able to do in such a short amount of time it's really it, it's really remarkable if i would have told you guys that arizona has a chance to have the biggest non-conference win in pac-12 football like what do you think you would have said to me yeah. two weeks ago and it's realistic, right? Like, which one? This one or the upcoming game? Yeah, this this game against uh, Mississippi State. Like, I just I, I still like Cal Cal going to Notre Dame, Yogi. We still yeah. have hope there. But yeah, <laughs> I'm with you there. I mean, well, look, we got a bunch of big games, so let's go to Washington State. They go to Jake Dickert's home state of Wisconsin. He told me in the offseason he had like 50 tickets. He was getting like so many people are coming to that game. They did not look apart jb long our friend and ryan leaf had that call in the nightcap on the pac-12 networks um what do you think we're going to see because this is a wisconsin team that like if there's one like wisconsin and iowa and like and utah are kind of like always in the same bucket for me like you know exactly what you're going to get paul christ of course been there for a long time um ted you know paul you've known him for a long time what, what do you what do you think for wazoo 
as they come off a a night a win, which was good, but not very not very impressive. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I was with you. I I I understand that Ryan Leaf, who would be the qualified person to do so, was 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 a analytical about the performance of Cameron Word in the first game. So yeah, there's growth there from everything we understand. Um, look, I, I think what, without knowing anything in particular about Wisconsin, except as you said, I know Paul Chris, I know the kind of football he's played every year. That's going to be the challenge to a large degree that Oregon and Utah just faced going, traveling to play an SEC team. You travel to a big 10 team, you're going to get hit in the mouth and you're going to get hit in the mouth a lot. And, you know, you have to be able to handle that. And that's a challenge that, again, we just, we saw, we saw what happened to two of the more highly regarded teams in this conference this past weekend. So I assume Washington State is going to see something similar. You're not going to see the explosive offense that you saw in Georgia uh, or a, a guy like Richardson in Florida. You're not going to see that kind of player in Wisconsin, but you're going to get hit in the mouth on just about every play. Yeah. So I look at this one and I, 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 it's a long time ago, but I remember playing and in week two, you look at the film of the team you that played in week one and you're like, Oh, we're in a roll. And I think that's what Wisconsin staff's going to have to fight against this week on their staff on their, with their roster. Cause they're going to look at Wazoo in that first game. And you're going to say, well, Idaho, Idaho. Oh, they barely beat Idaho. Like I, I lived that against South Florida and, uh, who was the head coach? He was the former DC at Colorado and then at Oregon. Always oh, drinking a Pepsi. <laughs> Help me out. Jim Levitt? Yeah, Jim, Jim Levitt. Levitt. Jim Levitt was the head coach of South Florida. They yeah. were almost yeah. one double A or one A. They were still right. one double A. And they had all the Florida State bounce backs, transfers from all those schools in South Florida. And we saw their first game. We're like, we're gonna roll. And then they destroyed us. So I, I'm not comparing Washington State to South Florida, but my point is as a player, you turn that tape on, you're like, that's all you got, right? Because you, Cam Ward wasn't there last year. The offense wasn't there last year. I, I think that's going to bode well for Washington State. And I also think it, the way that they played is going to be great for them to click in because we've been juicing them up. Everybody's been gassing them up all offseason long. I think it's going to be good for Cameron Ward. I look forward to that game. It's a 1230 kick on Fox. Um, the thing I looked forward to probably the most on Saturday was across the state and Kalen DeBoer. And I don't know if you guys saw the the clip uh, from Alex Cook. He's their sixth-year father-to-be uh, defensive back. In the locker room, he gave him the game ball, and he goes, we're so organized. This culture is so strong because of you, Coach DeBoer. And he started getting choked up. And I just I just love that moment for when he was hired. Like, think of all the craziness that happened. Then he gets hired, and everybody seemingly jumps into the portal. He wins them all back. He stays, stays calm. He's done this before. And you go watch Michael Penix and this off. I said offense with an O offense, move the ball, four touchdowns, zero picks, three forty three forty five in the air. And I think you does be pretty good this year, guys. Oh, it's nice to see offense. You know, just again, reading the stories about that and Penix's game. You know, look, we know, we know Caitlin DeBoer a little bit from last year and how impressed we were by him. He has a challenge ahead of him clearly and making sure his quarterback room stays um, uh, what's the word, you know, stays full. But you saw why, and he knew Penix, obviously, for his one year, their one year together in Indiana, he knew why Penix would be the guy. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger picture story. 12 
uh, schools in the conference, seven of them in week one started to transfer a quarterback. We what what was the number? Forty four percent, Michael. Is that the number nationally? Yep. So seven out of twelve in the pack. And if uh, if Colorado, which had a sadly had a very poor week one game, if they changed to Shroud in week two, that would be eight. Shroud's a transfer. Brendan Lewis started the opener against TCU. He's a recruit. Shroud's a transfer. So, you know, that's the norm. And you see in many cases why. When you see what Delora did for U of A, when you see what Emory Jones did for ASU, when you see what Penix did for Washington. And so for the recruits, Tanner McKee is going to carry the banner Saturday. <laughs> but you know, it's probably amazing. the most highly regarded recruiting quarterback in the conference right now. DTR, yeah. obviously, is a fifth-year guy. We will never see that again, by the way. No. I will never live, I will not live long enough to see a quarterback start for five years in a power five school. This will never happen again. Yeah. And I'd, I'd, I'd say, do we ever see it for, I don't for four. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, agree. so uh, to, to that point, let's spin it forward to the two teams that lost one dramatically, one heartbreakingly with Utah and Oregon. We're going to Eugene. Michael, we got Eastern Washington, who's going to move the ball with tempo. They're going to try to play fast. Um, they're, they don't have the tight ends, thankfully, that Georgia did, because those guys were men. I mean, they look like Sunday dudes already. Uh, what, what, I, I think you rewind the tape from last week. I think I mentioned that the tight ends. You did. You did. Okay. You were on it. <laughs> In your preparation, just to kind of go producer, um, where did you start, you know, as you – got into this thing on Sunday in advance of, I don't know where Oregon is ranked as of us recording this at 1040 in the morning on Tuesday, uh, but Oregon, Eastern Washington, where does your prep start? What do you think heading into the game? Well, I immediately go to see how uh, Dan Lanning, what he says after the game, because I think that's, that's the, how is this team going to rebound is going to be a storyline without a doubt. And then the second thing is, what happened? So you go watch the tape and to me missed tackles and just getting dominated on the edge were the two things that jumped out at me. And then the, I guess the hope was Oregon had as many first downs as Georgia in the first half. So they were getting first downs. They just weren't getting points. And obviously the two interceptions, the one interception, which was not an interception was one of the greatest defensive plays I've ever seen. Um, the other one was a, interception a traditional interception but um so how are they going to bounce back or try to get a sense of that and what happened and what's something hopeful and i think those are three things that jump out at me and obviously all right now how do we somehow spin it a little bit you know not all is lost we quickly go back to uh 2016 usc got destroyed by alabama 52 to 6 and uh sam darnell and company ended up winning the Rose Bowl against Penn State that year. And I believe they started one and three. It wasn't just the, the punch in the mouth, Alabama. So it's the, the week one overreaction is one of the best things in sports. So I think we need to take that with a grain of salt. And I will give a cool thing. Oregon contacted me immediately yesterday and said, Coach Lanning, as he agreed to last week, is going to wear the mic the entire game. So there was no change in that. And I really, I, uh, take my hat off to him because he told us he'd do it. And I was a little concerned with the results and I wouldn't blame him, but he's going to do it. And I, I look forward to that. I think it's obviously that's going to be a pretty amazing production element during the game. Cause he talks a lot on the sideline. I did see that. So he's not just, 
he talks to his players a lot. So I think we'll have hopefully a lot of encouraging words uh, during the, during the yeah. game this week. Two quick things I would just say. One, one is you, you, you've learned right now. You're going to learn what happens when you get knocked down. And Dan Lanning, it's first game. I mean, that's, that's really rough. Um, you don't expect that to happen. You're hoping, and I'm certainly hoping for Oregon, that their first game was going to be like Marcus Freeman's first game in Notre Dame. They had a game they probably had minimal chance to win, but they competed, and they took the game into the fourth quarter. That's what you were hoping for Lanning. It didn't happen. And we'll also find out, you know, do they drink milk of amnesia? You know, what's the approach? Do you just tell your team, forget that, throw it out, didn't happen? Um, or do you try to use it as a tool? But I will also say, I, you know, look, the nation saw this. You can't hide from this, and the Pac-12 shouldn't hide from it. You had two teams that went into SEC territory last week, played those games, and tackling was woefully a problem for both. You had tacklers for both Oregon and Utah bouncing off guys. It was called out by Tom Blackledge clearly in the beginning of the Oregon-Georgia game, and I saw the same thing in the Utah-Florida game. It was, uh, you know, it's a size – it's just, to me – you know, I don't know if I'm missing it. Tell me if I'm off base here. But to me, it's just physically, the size of people, 2012, I guess it was, or 13, Notre Dame plays Alabama for the championship. This is pre-playoff in, the, uh, in Joe Robbie Stadium. And Notre Dame runs on the field for the kickoff. And I turned to my wife and I go, hey, they look pretty good. And then Alabama runs on the field. And I went, my God, they, we look like the JV team. Just the physical eyeball size difference and that's what i felt watching especially the utah florida game on television was my god the size difference was immense yeah i i had a bunch of takeaways but to try to be succinct in the oregon game it was a classic hope versus no game down 14 nothing they're driving and you got to score there just to kind of have your sideline be like okay i mean I, i went to uw alabama in that stadium for the playoff and it was all alabama and it looked in terms of fans it's a total road game. It looked the same way, same stadium, all Georgia fans in their state. So you need a little bit of confidence, right? Jake Browning did that and he was touching on to Dante Pettis early in the first quarter. Oregon never got that and it was a wrap. And then when you compound the missed tackles and that, that was disheartening for me, especially knowing you know, I was at practice two weeks ago. It's a physical training camp. You did not anticipate that. So what do you go to? You go to the skill set and you look at those tight ends and they're just running through, running through guys. It's not like their heads are on the wrong side. Like they're doing the right thing. They're just not finishing the tackle. And, you know, you just saw a team that it was almost workmanlike. I, I also think that their quarterback gets – doesn't. I, I love a walk-on story as a former walk-on, as you know. But this guy's real. Like he looked the part. He just looked the part, right? Like moving in the pocket, climbing the pocket. Just he needs to be given that that love. Do you know what I thought about? Oregon played Auburn about three years ago, first game. And Oregon goes to the fourth quarter and has a chance to win the game. And a freshman quarterback basically made the plays in the fourth quarter, and Oregon's stud quarterback didn't. Yeah. It was Justin Her- it was Justin Herbert and Bo, Bo Nix. <laughs> Bo Nix, the freshman quarterback for Auburn made the fourth quarter plays. Now, Justin Herbert has gone on to show himself to be a, you know, an elite quarterback at the NFL level already. So the point I'm making is now you flip the script three years later and Bo's the senior quarterback and he goes in, but unfortunately didn't make the plays. And that's, you know, where 
Dan Lanning's probably going to have the same kind of test I referenced Kalen DeBoer having. He has a very highly recruited, I mean, everybody in Oregon talks about this stuff. So, you know, you have a highly recruited quarterback sitting there, hoping, waiting, doesn't get on the field. You know, how does Dan Lanning attack this? That's his, to me, his first big personnel challenge here uh, in year one at Oregon. Yeah, and they don't, they don't have UCLA's schedule. Right, Eastern Washington is no slouch. Ted, we were there a couple times, right? We were there at Big Play VA, Vernon Adams at Eastern Washington. We were there with uh, Cooper Cup. Like yeah. this, will, they will not be afraid in this game. Then they have BYU at home, so it doesn't get easier. On the flip right. side, with Utah, what I saw was the areas that we thought, at least that I, <laughs> Lander Barton, right? This is a, it was all everything recruit, starting middle linebacker. It's just hard to replace experience with Devin Lloyd first round pick. And, and that's what I continually saw. Anthony Richardson, who Ted as fellow Heisman voters, it's early, but he's definitely, I, I'd agree. <laughs> a lot of guys are going to bounce off Anthony Richardson, by the way. That yeah. Was amazing. It was amazing. It was the zone read stuff where your eyes are, do they go with the running back? Do they go with him? And then you're a hair late and it's a big play or you have him corralled and brings back those terrible memories from SC Texas at the Rose bowl. Vince young, you know, finds a little crease first down touchdown. Yeah they needed a stop and didn't get it and they needed a score and they didn't get it. But I felt like coming out of that game, that's one I, th I thought Utah could have won. Absolutely. You know, Richardson, uh, who I knew nothing about until I watched this tape of this game, that was Cam Newton. Wow. That was, you know, it tells me, asks or forces me to ask the question why he didn't play last year, but that's another story. I'm going to give Michael his eye roll moment of the week. So here's second. Here's here's my question. And Utah scores at the end of the third quarter to go up 19 to 14. And they go for two. They don't get it. So now this I admit this not everything may have happened the same way in the fourth quarter had they kicked the point. So I acknowledge that, but pretty good chance. I'd say high probability would have played out the same way. Kick the point, you're up 20. What happens on the last drive? Kick a field goal to win. I don't have to four. And look, we all know Rising made a bad decision. Clear. But you don't have to do that. Why? I understand these analytic people put these charts together and the coaches just reflexively go off the chart. You're up five. Let's go up seven. Why? You're ahead. Why are you chasing a point when you're ahead? The two-point play at best is 50%. At best. You're on the road in an SEC stadium. You think it's 50%? I don't. The kick's 90%. Everybody in Vegas knows how to play those odds, right? Kick the point. I, and I, I, there has to be – I must assume I'm missing something. Somebody smarter must know a reason, but I just don't understand it. I was watching the fourth quarter, and that's what I kept thinking about. Why didn't they kick the point? If you kick the point, now you go down – you kick a few now. Maybe Florida goes for two. Something's different. I don't know, but I, I just don't understand that thinking. The kick's ninety percent. Just ask LSU. Um, Whew, how about that? <laughs> what a drive by Jaden Daniels. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did this just in from Steve Turnberger, the great director, the legendary great director. There is no cart. Uh, available at Florida because of the limitations of the sideline. What that means to non-TV people, there's a camera that rides upon a cart on the sideline. You probably see it in your view sometimes while you're watching. 
And in most stadiums, that would park right on the goal line to get the perfect shot down the line of that goal line stand that you know, I watched it. It's hard to tell because the replays from, you know, seven, eight yards into the end zone looking back. But it was a very close play where uh, Cam got stopped. If that cart was right on the line, we might have been able to see that a little bit. The refs might have been able to overturn it, but they called it down. So it was unlikely from the views they had. So that was a little information just in. The other thing I'd say, we had a couple good looks at our USC game. Uh, traditionally, the cart covers the quarterback the whole way. So if it's a handoff or he's rolling out and it's a pass and the guy runs down the line, you may not have it from that shot. But we did about two years ago as we switched it. We made our cart play-by-play, play, meaning follow the ball. So we would always have that goal line angled no matter if the quarterback or the running back on a screen or a receiver was there. We did a couple adjustments that worked out great. So um, two little notes for those that might've been wondering why we didn't have the goal line shot in the uh, Florida game. Yeah, that was good. The shots and ours were, were awesome. Props to the crew. Um, all right, here at the end, uh, Cal, we, we saw Jack Plummer, right? They get UNLV, Marcus Arroyo this weekend. Um, we look at Arizona State. One might argue the toughest test of the week, going to the Big 12 to play Oklahoma State. UCLA, Alabama State, they've got to clean things up. Special teams were shoddy, uh, some, some turnovers. And then Colorado and Air Force which I think is going to be uh, an opportunity for Colorado. A lot of questions around what are they going to do uh, offensively at the quarterback spot. What are yeah. you guys most looking forward to among those four games? I, I was impressed. Cal had a freshman running back. Odd, ran for over 100. Uh, that, that's a nice sign because, again, the transfers you know, cost him some running backs. So that's a good sign. And I just, again – let's call it straight these were quotes that were reported by a couple of colorado players after their game against tcu that were just uh, to be soft about it concerning uh, quinn perry said we had players mentally checked out at halftime brady russell said too many heads were dropping i saw too much defeat when we were still part of the game these are veteran players saying this about your team after week one that's Obviously, I mean, everybody said that's a huge red flag that I assume Carl Durrell had to tackle right away. That that can't linger. Yeah. From our meetings with Carl Durrell, I'm sure he tackled it right away. He just – yeah, and, and in the right way. Um, to answer Yogi's question, I'd say ASU at Oklahoma State. Just 51 new players at ASU. And, it was, I mean, they looked, they looked organized Thursday. Granted, the competition was – not not going to be what it's going to be in Stillwater, one of my favorite spots to visit, by the way. Um, but um, I think that that intrigues me. How are they going to respond to that in this uh, X, X Validay? 116 yards, two touchdowns. I just like the fact he calls himself X. That alone is going to get me to tune in. Yeah, he's Yogi, Yeah, Yogi, had you had the best point on the uh, like 3 a.m. show or whatever after the Arizona State game. No, you were right on. You, you talked about ASU played a clean game. Yeah, finally, finally they did with a bunch of new faces. Uh, so I'm looking forward to to watching them go on that stage. It's a big chance for them to see if they can go get that win. Um, all right, last five minutes here. Michael, humanity moment of the week. Take us home, brother. Five minutes. So let me expand a little bit. Uh, actually, I have a couple. I do have a couple. Rather than a long one, one topic, I got a few. 
So as I said, the overreaction, the overreaction week one, I head into American Martyrs at 945, a sea of UCLA blue, the Cardinal and gold are out, but then patches, I saw three Arizona logos at church on Sunday. I saw a probably two or three orange shirts, I assume for the Beavers, but maybe for the Cuse, got a big win. Louisville, as did Pittsburgh, very nice. At least I was where I had a twinge of orange. Not a green shirt or a red shirt in the house, which I'd never, I mean, it was like people just intentionally did not wear any green that day, which normally I'm telling you, had Oregon won, that place would have been decked out in green. So we'll, we'll, uh, I'll update you on the Disneyland trip in October where we take the second poll of colors being worn to see whose teams are doing well. Uh, topic two, leadership, Lincoln Riley. Best thing I learned in the coaches meeting in a while. We game plan separately. Then we come together to decide what we're going to do. And all ideas welcome. It's not my, I make the decision, but there are plenty of times where it's not my idea that comes to the top. And I just thought that was amazing leadership. Dan Lanning, leadership, blamed himself entirely for that loss in the press conference. Meanwhile, in Baton Rouge, the bus was beeping and everyone but the new coach took some of the blame in that press conference, a little contrast. And then finally, we mentioned the crew. For our 11th year, we're together. We travel, our core crew is about 20 people. We have about 50 to 60 to do the game. So we hire about 30 people local, 20 people travel together every week. We work together. We hang out together. It's an amazing group. And I'm happy to say this year, completely unaffected by the transfer portal. Everybody came back and I'm looking forward to it as always. Let's go. Let's keep going. On to you, wow. G. Congratulations, Molinari worked under the salary cap. That's great. You kept everybody. <laughs> yes. As well as the most humane member of our team in this humanity moment, Taxi Mike returned for another year. Yes. Taxi Mike delivered as always. That's great. Hey, uh, we're going to be in Eugene Saturday. It's going to be fun. It will be fun to be there, just to be in the great atmosphere. We didn't get to Eugene last We didn't get there last year, did we? We did not. No. Yeah, so they'll be fun. It'll be great to be there again. Uh, we have a whole slew of games again on Pac-12 Networks. And, of course, the partners will have a bunch of games as well. And then we'll wrap it all for you next week. And my challenge to Molinari, I want you to put humanity and Stillwater in the same sentence next week, okay? I'm working on it right now. <laughs> Cheers. They're arguing well. For Yogi, Ted Michael, join us again next week. Thanks for being with us. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.